0: Scripture reading is from Exodus 17, 1 through 7. From the wilderness of Sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidium, but there was no water for people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with his people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock of Oreb. Strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, so that the people may drink. Moses did so in sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The word of the Lord.
1: Aye. Hey, everybody. My name's Steve, and uh, I am Steve of Maple Grove. That is Steve of Robbinsdale. So that's uh, one of the ways that you can refer to us, the two Steves. And uh, we're going to start, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, You're going to title this sermon, okay? So uh, as you heard that text, one of the things I love to do as I read a passage of Scripture is I, I try to say, okay, like, What question is it trying to address? And so I I, I phrase it to say, like, what does it mean to blank? Right? So let's, so look at the text again. Or maybe if you've been marinating in it, like good Lutherans maybe or Covenanters do throughout the week, uh, what would you title this story? What does it mean to blank? What does it mean to murmur? Nice, I like that a lot. Other ideas? What does it mean to strike the rock? Yes, love it. Other ideas? What does it mean to test the Lord? That's really good too. How are we gonna pick? I didn't really think about that one. Um, what are other ideas? What does it mean to doubt? What does it mean to be thirsty? What does it mean to know God is there? Love that. Is the Lord among us? Nice, Shannon. I mean, that might win. I mean, she got it right from verse 7, to be honest. Which is not a bad idea when you're trying to figure out what the text is addressing to find it in the text. You know, (laughs) <laughs> it's revolutionary. Uh, what does it mean to test God? What does it mean uh, to find God in the place that you didn't think God was there? What does, it mean, um, what does it mean that God is really among us? I think it's tempting to believe that God is among us, When our prayers are being answered and when things are going the right way, like when there's water available, God is with us because water's there. And when there's no water and you're wandering in the wilderness, like you do, you tend to believe that God is not with you. And I think the text, this text, this story is trying to get at that in a number of really juicy and interesting ways. So we're going to get there. But before we get there, we're in the third week of Lent. So here's here's our first all-play question. And by the way, there's going to be a lot of all-play questions today. So uh, get used to it. (laughs) How is Lent going for you? How are you experiencing Lent? Remember, Lent is the season of returning to God with all of your heart and being humbled in that turning. It's the time to recognize that we have gorged on things that don't really satisfy and it's the time to create new space for God to satisfy you in new ways. So how is Lent going? People of Genesis. Bumpy. bumpy. Thanks, Deb. That's awesome. Oh, bumpy. What do you mean by bumpy? I love that. Um, up and downs. Like yep. Feeling connected, connected from yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Deb. Who else wants to dive in? Some of you are like, "Oh, it's Lent." <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> it's seven weeks, man. You, you know, you're not even halfway. You can still dive in. It sucks. All right, Becky. Sorry, kids. Um, no, I mean, I, I. Although I don't know if I have said that from the stage, Becky. But, um, <laughs> uh, but it does. For me, it does. Say more. The, the things I want to do are right there in front of me. Mm. And the things that I'm asking to walk in a new way are also right in front of me. And I am finding my will tested. Everybody hear that? It's like the things are all right there. The things I want to do, the things, uh, and they're all there. And, and, but do you choose those things? Do you not choose those things? Uh, maybe one more. How's Lent going? Eye opening. Who said that? Wade, why? The things that I decided I had too much of. Yeah. I've been pulling away. Yep. I realize if I go back into that space that it's they really aren't satisfying. That's why I find it of less and less satisfying. Hmm. So Lent is working for at least one of us. <laughs> I call that a win. When people ask me how's Genesis doing, I'm gonna say, you know, it's an it's eye-opening. You know, we're, our eyes are being opened, and we're experiencing things in a new way. Thanks, Wade. We're gonna tack. We're gonna, just gonna camp on you. All right. Um. So uh, I think one of the many ways that you could uh, describe this text is, what does it mean to be thirsty? So one of the things that I want to uh, start with is is it, is is this: Is it okay to be thirsty? Or do we have to always be satisfied? Is it okay to be thirsty? Okay, I'm seeing a lot of nods. Is it even maybe necessary to be thirsty? All right, so let's go. They camped at Rephidim, which means rest, but there was no water. So here's an all play question. Why would you camp at a place where there's no water? Because God told them to, thank you. Tired of walking? Thank you. Desperation. Desperation. What else? It's safe. What else? There's no other option. option. Now, uh, in Exodus 15, there was bitter water, and it was made sweet when some bark was thrown into the water. And then in Exodus 16, uh, they camped at this place called Elim, which had like 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. So that was amazing. They had all the water that they needed. But in Exodus 17, they find themselves camping at a place where there is no water. So how can you rest when you're thirsty? That's an all-play question. How is it possible to rest when you're thirsty? You can't, rest long. can't rest very long, you're thirsty. But they're camping at Rephidim, which means rest. Resting in a place where there's no water. What does that tell us? Okay, thanks, Will. We have to rely on God. For a, go ahead. Okay, thanks, Aaron. Maybe there's a new kind of rest they haven't discovered yet. Now, this is um, very. I mean, they, they've just left Egypt, so this is very. Uh, early into their journey of wandering. And um, I want to point out that it's not like they're upset because they didn't get the close parking spot, even though they prayed for it. Um, They don't have water. I mean, that's a big deal. I think it's easy to look at the Israelites and say, oh, they're such complainers. There's no water. I get really cranky when... Like, I go, you know, when I have any need of any kind, I have a headache. Where's, where's aspirin? But I've never in my whole life been, um, been in a situation where I've literally wanted water and not been able to get water. So it's a very legitimate complaint that they have. So they say, give us water to drink, Moses. Now, be Moses for a second. The people that you're leading... Are saying to you, "Bring us water." Let's climb into his mind for a second. What do we know about Moses at this point? I I just like somewhat of a shady past. Um, Yeah, we're going to see that that he's he's later on in the text he's told to strike the rock. It's not the first thing he's struck in his life. Very same word, he struck down an Egyptian and killed him. So he knows what it means to strike. That's fascinating. But what else do we know about Moses just like n- not even like in your history books but just be Moses in this moment. What do we know about Moses? If the people are thirsty then Moses is thirsty. He's dying of thirst too. And he's probably a little more thirsty than they are because when the water was running out he probably said, "Okay, well, you, you know, you drink some of it because I'm the leader. I'm not going to drink all of it." So he's dying of thirst, he has a fever. And these people are complaining. And what do you think he's been trying to do? For days, probably. Find water! You ever been that leader or that parent where when the people that you're leading tell you the obvious, like, hey, get us water, and you're like, seriously? I will kill you right now. This is exactly what I've been working on, and if I had water to give you, I would give it to you. Thank you very much. So it's not easy. Uh, to be Moses. (laughs) I actually have this written down in my notes, and, and I'm gonna say it, but it's a lame joke. Like, he might have said, what, am I supposed to hit a rock and get water out of a rock? I don't think he said that. So the people thirsted there for water, verse three, and the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? (laughs) Oh, I mean, they got really creative with Moses over the course of his lifetime (laughs) in how they complained against him. They really did. And one of my favorite passages is in Numbers 11 when Moses finally goes to God and says, God, did I give birth to these people? Am I supposed to carry them on my back for the rest of the journey? And if so, God, if you love me, this is actually in the text, if you love me, kill me now. (laughs) That's actually what he says. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So that's a pretty good question. Let's make it into an all play. Why did God deliver them out of Egypt? Why did God deliver them from Egypt? He had a plan for those, for those people. All right, Fred. What was the plan? Yes, he had a plan for those people. He was going to save the world through them and bless the world through them. So these were very, very precious people to him, to God. Certainly didn't lead them out of Egypt to kill them and their kids and their livestock in the desert, but it certainly didn't feel like God cared very much at that point, did it? You ever been in those moments where you sort of in some distant part of your past, remember God being faithful. <laughs> but in this particular circumstance, God feels very absent and like God doesn't care. And maybe God has led you out of something. But right now, all you feel is absence and all you feel is thirst. You ever been there? So that's all part of the story of God, you guys. You, you, you can't, like the story. I, I, I read this Facebook post this morning uh, what I was doing on Facebook on Sunday morning, I don't know. But it was this. God has a plan for you to succeed every day. And I thought, what kind of God are you following? Because that's not the God that, to succeed every day. What do you learn from success? Thank you, Richard Rohr. Nothing. I mean, it feels good. One more year. Joe has one more year to learn to where success is really beneficial, and then Richard Orr says you don't learn anything from success after the age of thirty. What's it like to be free after a long time of of captivity? It's disorienting. What else? It does, and Egypt, P.S., thank you Jenny, was the place that people were breaking into because it was the most resourced place on planet Earth. Plenty of water with the Nile, plenty of food, even for slaves, uh, and they got used to at least getting fed and at least having enough water to drink. So I think when you are in captivity for a while, You forget that you have agency. You forget that you actually can put things into motion and can stop things that are in motion. So, verse 4 Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? Not my people, (laughs) this people. And I think this really should be translated your people, God. (laughs) What should I do with your people? They're almost ready to stone me. So that's interesting. What doesn't Moses ask God for? Say it again. I heard water, I heard protection. Yeah, doesn't it? Which I love. Now, in, like, if you were making this story up, Moses would look very leaderly, and Moses would say, now, Lord, lead me to the water. I will follow anywhere you lead me, and I want to go to the water now. So lead me, Lord. There might even be a poem, you know, or a song. <laughs> right? Dance. <laughs> Did you say dance? <laughs> oh, someday. That day is not today. Um, he doesn't ask the Lord for water. It's, I love that because it's the kind of prayer I would pray. I'd be like, Lord, I, what, what are we supposed to do? And um, he says, they're almost ready to stone me. And then I find it interesting that that's where the water eventually comes from, a stone. I just find that fascinating. It's almost like, is that funny? Like, is God trying to make a little, okay. Um, it's, It's fascinating. So verse five, the Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people, take some of the elders of Israel with you, take in your hand the staff, with which you struck the Nile and turned it into blood for the plague, and go. And I'll be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it, so that people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Who isn't there when Moses strikes the rock? The people. They... And we don't even read that they drank water. We assume they drank water. But when they show up, whenever that is, they see water flowing out of a rock. Now, if you're Moses, what are you thinking? Remember, the elders saw you praying with all your faithfulness, striking the rock, exactly what God said to you. They saw water flow out of a rock. Then the people showed up, the people who are complaining against you that you don't know what you're doing. What are you thinking when the people show up and start drinking that water? Yes! I would totally be like, God, um, I could use a little credibility right here, right now. I mean, these people hate me. It would really help my cause if they knew that I made the water come out of the rock. Right? But then what would be the next thing that God might say to that? You made the rock come out of the rock. <laughs> but I think there's a, there's a temptation for Moses to think that he did. I mean, I struck the rock. I followed God. I mean, it was crazy. God said I would be standing there in front of Horeb. I mean, what does God look like? How, would I, how am I going to recognize you, God? <laughs> Are you the one with the white beard? So Moses goes, strikes the rock, and I think it's very fascinating that early on in his journey, um, I don't know if God made it so that the rock was struck, like so that the people couldn't see it because he wanted to teach Moses some humility, but I, I, I would buy that. I would buy that because um, that's what I need and that's what you need. And it's interesting that um, Moses strikes the Egyptian, Moses strikes the rock, Moses strikes the Nile, so we're seeing good things happening out of when Moses strikes things, and we're seeing bad things happen when Moses strikes things. So as a leader, what can we learn from that? What's a leadership lesson that you can learn from that from Moses? Is it self-directed? Ooh, Is it self-directed or others directed? I like that. Anyone else? Okay, struck the rock alone, struck the person alone, struck the rock in front of elders. I, I think it's fascinating that um, as a leader, your, your strength is going to be also your shadow. The things that flow out of you that are good are, is sometimes going to flow from the same place um, uh, into bad things, and I think that's a leadership lesson. That's why we need to continually bring to God everything. Because the minute we start saying, man, I can strike that rock and water is going to come out of it, um, then we might be in trouble. And later on, 40 years later, it's so fascinating. They're in Numbers 20. They're in the exact same situation. They've run out of water. And this time, God says to Moses, speak to the rock. Speak to the rock and water will come out. But Moses raises up his staff, and he says to the people who are looking this time, and Moses, in Numbers 20, people are there. And he says something like, you rebellious lot. And then he hits the rock twice. Boom, boom. And then water comes out, because God is gracious, and that's a lesson. But later on, God says, oh, man, uh-uh. You didn't, you didn't listen to me. And it it was more than you didn't listen to me. It was even after 40 years wandering in the desert, you wanted people to think that you made the water flow out of the rock. And that's not how this is going to flow. That's not how I I roll, God says. And then so he says, so you're not going to go into the promised land. And man, that feels harsh. So when hard times come, whether you're the leader or the people, this is an all play. How do you know that God is with you when there's no water? How do you know? It's probably the best answer we're going to get. How do you know God's with you when there's no water? Your own faith. Thanks, Justin. Where does your own faith come from? Community. Community thank you, Director of Community, Kristen Throckmorton. <laughs> um, I, I do think you're on something there, and, and, and so are you. It's your faith surrounded by people that also have faith when you have none. And it's not like these people are going to be like, remember, God is faithful. I think you start hearing stories. Tell, tell me a story of, of when God was faithful because I've forgotten, oh yeah, remember that time the water was bitter, and then they threw the bark and the wood in and then it tasted sweet. remember that? Oh, yeah, there was that time. remember the time that um, we were really thirsty and then Moses went off for a smoke break or something like that, and then we you know we went to the the rock and then water was flowing out of the rock, oh my gosh, remember that oh yeah, I remember that remember when we Crossed the Jordan River when it was flowing like crazy, and and the water stopped and became a wall. Yeah, I remember that. Remember, remember when we had to cross the Sea of Reeds, the Red Sea, and it there was wall wa- there was walls of water on either side, and then it closed after us. Remember that? Community needs to tell me when I've forgotten that God actually is faithful. Haines said it says it so often, but he said it a couple weeks ago. He said, we, we gather on Sundays to experience that God is real together, and we need each other for that. That's why honestly, okay, so like podcast, great. But if you're not showing up to a community of faith in whatever form that takes, that just, not just Sunday morning, but a community of people that love and know God, um, if, if, if that's not part of your regular rhythm and routine, then you will forget that God is faithful. You have to have community. Psalm 95.1, it's in the lectionary this week. Oh come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. That's a sweet connection, isn't it? To the rock that the water came out of from Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. Romans 5, 1 through 5, this is a set of also in the lectionary this week. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing in the glory of God. But here's, here's where it gets juicy. And not only that, we don't boast in the hope of sharing the glory of our God. We boast in our sufferings too, in, our, in the times that we're thirsty. Knowing that suffering Produces endurance. Do we like suffering? No. Do you have to like suffering? No. Nobody likes suffering. But it does produce something. It produces endurance in you. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us. Amen? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts like water through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. That water that's flowing out of the rock has never stopped flowing. And it's flowing into you and into me. The gospel this week, John 4, it's a great story of the woman at the well. Jesus shows up to the Samaritan woman and he sort of says, hey, I'm thirsty. (laughs) That's great. Even Jesus was thirsty. And um, the woman said to him, "Uh, sir, you have no bucket. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Because Jesus talked about having living water. And then she asks, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well and with his sons and flocks drank from it? And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, even this water, even the water of Jacob, our, our forefather, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. So all of a sudden now, we're the rock. And when we get struck, what comes out? When we get struck, what comes out? Yes. And that's why we can hope. And that's why we know that God is with us at all times. And that's why we know that God is among us, even in times of deep suffering. That when we are struck, When we are struck, what comes out is living water. So the community of faith, which is what we are, and during Lent especially, our journey is, Lord, fill me up, right? I am thirsty. You name your thirst. You ask for God to fill you up so that when you're struck, living water will come out.